and Brother Billy for leading us through one of the great hymns of the faith. It truly is wonderful to worship the Lord through song. And I'm glad to be with you to bring the word this morning. This is a highlight of the week for me. The honor and the privilege to stand before God's people and preach His word. So thank you for being here. My first time visiting North Carolina was during my freshman year of college. I don't want to tell you how long ago that was. It shocks me that it's been so long. I had a friend who was from Greensboro, and for fall break, I made the trip with her, the drive from Springfield, Missouri, to Greensboro, uh, in part out of my love for road trips and seeing new places, uh, but also especially to visit her home church. Her father was a pastor, a fairly prominent pastor in Greensboro, and uh, as an aspiring pastor myself, I took every opportunity I could to meet other pastors and to ask them questions about ministry and to gain wisdom from them. And we'd had a wonderful time during our visit, but it was our last day there. We were going to be leaving shortly, and I was awakened early in the morning, and she was obviously shaken, and she had tears streaming down her face. She proceeded to tell me that her father had been in a serious accident while riding his bike that morning. He was beat up pretty bad. He was being rushed to the hospital in an ambulance, and they were going to rush to see him at that very moment. I felt grieved, and I barely knew him. I, I felt uh, uh, heartbroken to see the pain and the uncertainty that gripped their family that day. Not to mention the fact that just as I saw, saw him to see the great physical suffering of the man who had actually been in this accident, it was, it was a very weighty situation. Many of us have experienced situations like this, and all of us will face trials in this life. None of us are immune from the sufferings of this life. There's no way to avoid them completely. It might come as an unexpected diagnosis. It might come in the form of betrayal by a close friend. Oftentimes it's those sufferings of the, of the heart that are the most painful. And we struggle to make sense of it all. How should we as Christians understand the pain, the trials, the hardships that we endure in this life? Today we're beginning a sermon series that will lead us through the book of James over the next several weeks. James begins his letter by addressing this most difficult question about suffering. Now he's not offering a philosophical treatise to try to explain the problem of pain or the, 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 um, the problem of evil, where does evil come from and how can it be and so on. But he offers an invaluable exhortation to teach us how we as Christians should respond when we walk through the dark valleys of this life. I've titled this message, Finding Joy in the Valley. Our text is James chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 4. In this text, James encouraged Christians to find joy in the midst of life's trials for their ability to strengthen faith and advance our sanctification. Let's read it together. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Christians can face trials with joy by recognizing their potential to strengthen faith and advance sanctification. By seeing their potential to strengthen our faith and sanctify 
our hearts. There are three main points that emerge from this text. And each one builds upon the next. The first one, James offers an unexpected reorientation. Now, as we look at verse 1 in the letter, this is the formal greeting. Every letter in the ancient world had some sort of formal greeting that was something like this. And I haven't told you yet which James wrote this epistle, but perhaps some of you already know. The author is almost certainly James the Just, as he was known in the early church. He was Jesus' half-brother, according to the flesh. You might remember that during Jesus' earthly ministry, his siblings did not support his ministry. In fact, you could say that they opposed his ministry. But after Jesus' resurrection, his half-brother James believed in a radical turn. And James became a leader in the church in Jerusalem until his martyrdom in the middle of the first century. In a stunning display of humility here in this very first verse in the greeting, rather than boast of his kinship with, with Jesus of the flesh, he calls himself, look there, a slave of Christ or a servant of Christ. We can't be certain who the original audience was who would have received this letter. However, it's, it's very likely that it was a, a very general audience of Jewish Christians who lived outside of Palestine, that is outside of their ancestral land in Israel, scattered across the Roman world. The fact that James begins as he does, jumping right into this exhortation about suffering, suggests at the very least that he wrote this letter to a community of people who were suffering. Perhaps they were suffering from poverty. There's a great theme of poverty in the letter. Perhaps they were suffering persecution. That's implicit as well. It's not totally clear. But with only a little bit of discernment, we recognize that everyone faces trials in this life. And it's easy for us to think as we suffer that we are alone in our suffering. It's easy to think that others seem to have it together and I am the only one whose life seems to be fraying apart. But if you look deeper into other people's lives, you would find very quickly that suffering is common to all of us. There's no doubt that some will suffer more than others and some will experience particular sorts of suffering. But none of us are totally spared from it in this life. Trials come to all of us. A sin-cursed world guarantees that this would be so. This world is broken and groaning for redemption. James says that trials come in many varieties, various kinds, the ESV says, as I'm reading this morning. Some people will suffer from ongoing physical problems. Others endure the pain of broken relationships or loneliness. Others face financial insecurity and all the things that are related to that. Others suffer from mental illnesses, depression, anxiety. But James' exhortation speaks to all of these situations by addressing suffering, by addressing trials in the most general sense. Various trials, he says. But let's be very honest. James's exhortation here to count it all joy initially seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But this will commonly be the case when you read the Scriptures. Just think of a, of a few examples. Consider what the Bible says about generosity. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 24, it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. That seems counterintuitive to us. Your, your accountant might call this into question. 
But God declares that generosity will lead to greater abundance, greater blessing, not less. Similarly, Jesus taught that in His kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. You know that saying? That's not the way that most people live in our society, is it? If you go into corporate business, you'll be encouraged to be assertive, to be aggressive, do whatever it takes to climb that ladder. That's the only way you're going to get ahead in business, we're taught. If you go to a bookstore, I love going to bookstores, and you go to the section where they sell books on leadership, you would be hard-pressed to find a book that has little or anything to say about humility. That's not the way the world works, we're told. But the Scriptures present a worldview that challenges the fallen mind. It challenges our instincts in the flesh. In our text, James declared, count it all joy, or consider it pure joy, as another translation says. The joy that James envisions is a peaceful confidence that trusts in the Lord, whatever life may bring. And if this seems like a tall order, if you think, how in the world can I have joy in the midst of suffering? This is not a command as much as it is an invitation to us. God says you can find joy through life's trials because I am there with you. And there is a purpose for what you are going through. Be encouraged. The trials that you face are never random. They are never meaningless, God says to us. And so have joy. This joy can be hard for us to understand, but how beautiful it is when we see it. You know, music can be a powerful medium, even as we felt a moment ago, worshiping through song. Most of you know the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and perhaps many of you know the story behind that classic hymn. The author was Horatio Spafford, and after losing five of his children, all of his children, and being bankrupt essentially financially, losing his career and his livelihood, he wrote this glorious hymn of the faith. You know the words, don't you? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. James invites us to find joy in the midst of life's trials. But he proceeds to explain what is the basis of Christian's joy in the Lord. Joy through the midst of fiery trials. And so number two, our second movement. With the right orientation, trials can produce steadfastness. James encouraged Christians that God can use trials to strengthen our faith in a unique way. And if we reflect for a moment, it doesn't take very long, we we can begin to see how this is so that God can strengthen our faith through trials. First, we learn greater dependence on God when we go through trials. Trials drive us beyond our characteristic self-reliance that is so natural to us when we realize that our situation is more than we can handle. When we learn to cast our cares on the Lord, we realize that we are insufficient to carry our burdens ourselves with any amount of faithfulness. Likewise, the experience of life's trials draw us to our knees. When all is well, we can easily neglect prayer. Because again, our self-reliance, right? I can handle this myself. I, I don't need to bring this to the Lord. 
I've got this covered, we say, when all seems to be well. But in the fiery trial, we learn to live on our knees before the Lord in intercession. When we experience God's faithful care, we learn to trust Him. We learn by experience that we can trust Him. And this strengthens our faith and produces a steadfastness that we need to endure. One commentator, Peter David, says this, Testing does a service for the Christian, for the virtue of fortitude comes through this process. Precious metals are forged and refined in a fire. They're made today much like they have been throughout history. And by analogy, we too are refined in the furnace of affliction. Our faith is refined. Now let me be clear on one point though. Trials are not guaranteed to produce steadfastness, are they? Sometimes trials overwhelm a person. Bring that person to the point of being broken down. And in some cases, trials have the effect of revealing that a person's faith is not what it seemed. If one's faith is not rooted in Christ, it will eventually give way. Trials can have a a winnowing effect that reveals what is truly underneath. But even in this, there is grace in the hope for redemption. But God never fails in His purposes for those who are truly His. When we persevere through hardships, we become battle-tested soldiers for Christ. When the United States entered World War II at the very end of 1941, we were woefully unprepared for what we'd face. Good for us to go, good for us to step in, but we were woefully unprepared. And when American troops first faced Axis troops in North Africa, the outcome was embarrassing. But with each passing skirmish, the American soldiers became stronger as they endured. They grew wiser. They grew bolder. They were better equipped. And had it not been for these months of battlefield experience in the deserts of North Africa, they would have been impotent before the Germans when they faced them in in Italy and in France and on the continent. But they persevered through their setbacks. They persevered through their losses and did not give up or surrender. And by the end of the war, they made the United States a world power for the first time. And we remain so today. We can hold on to faith through trials because we know that God is providentially in control. One of my favorite professors in in seminary was a professor named Dr. Tom Nettles. Uh, He's something of of a legend in Southern Baptist theological education, retired now. And he was nearing retirement in the class that I was taking with him, a class of about 30 students or so, a class on church history, And as he was reflecting on his career coming toward an end, he encouraged us and actually asked us for something. He said, I want to ask you for something that I've asked other people in my life. He said, I'm asking you that if, if, especially as he's thinking, as, as he's growing older, he said, I want you to remind me of this truth of God's sovereign control in my life when I face trials. Don't merely seek to comfort me with with words of empathy as much as as that is helpful and it's good for God's people to comfort one another. He said, remind me of this truth as my anchor. He said, I'm not only giving you permission, I'm asking you to do that. 
I've always remembered that. That we could be reminded in our hardships of those truths, that they would serve as an anchor for us. Take comfort in this. The trials that you face are never random. They are not meaningless. If they were, how on earth could we endure them with any integrity, with any faithfulness? Nothing can take us outside of the bonds of God's care for us. He is good and He will keep us in His hand. We can count it all joy. We can count it all joy because the right orientation, with this right orientation, trials can produce steadfastness as the source to strengthen our faith. Now building upon this, lastly, number three, with this right orientation, trials will advance the work of sanctification in us. God intends to use trials to make us more holy. This work, and again, I'm using this word sanctification. It is a biblical word, but it's, it's a big word. It's a simple idea. All it means it refers to the process by which Christians are progressively made into the image of Christ to be made holy in conduct. John Calvin reasoned about this, reflecting on this text, that God used suffering in our life, he said, because, quote, ambition, avarice, Envy, gluttony, intemperance, excessive love of the world, and the innumerable lusts cannot be cured by any other medicine. Godly character is fashioned through the trials of this life. It is fashioned when we walk, walk through the dark valleys of this life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than being fixated on the trials at hand. And it's not a matter of, of some sort of denial. No, they're there. But rather than being fixated on them, James invites us to turn our attention to the Lord and to embrace the character-building work that God does through His Holy Spirit. Trials can cleanse our hearts from idolatry. The idols of the heart that, that hinder our spiritual growth they can be torn down when we face the trials of this life, even in an instant in those worst trials. Tom Rainer, a well-known leader in the Southern Baptist Convention, says this. It's very helpful. Seasons of suffering and depression have a unique way of causing the world to lose its luster. At the same time, such trouble, troublesome seasons will cause us to long for heaven all the more. James tells us in the text that by enduring through trials, we can be made, look at the language in verse 4, perfect and complete. Interesting language. The idea of perfection is not referring to sinlessness. That is not the idea. It refers to a state of maturity. James teaches us that enduring trials can do the work of forming us into spiritually mature believers. Spiritually mature Christians fully equipped for life and ministry. Think of a time when you've met a senior saint, someone who has lived a lot of life and been faithful to the Lord. Their, their godly character is evident. But underneath their calm demeanor, you could find scars. Scars from the trials and testing that they have endured as God has made them into who they are. Through life's trials, we learn the virtues that define the Christian life, brothers and sisters. Humility, integrity, grace, 
courage, and compassion, these are formed very often through our trials. Paul Tripp says this, God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. But consider this also. We are in good company. Even Jesus, the incarnate Son, was perfected through suffering. Now, Jesus was always without sin. He was pure from His birth. But it was through the living, uh, living as a man that He achieved the perfection that made Him the righteous Son, the second Adam that could go to the cross for us. That language is often used in the Scriptures. He suffered through the trials and temptations that are common to all of humanity. And He pleased God with faithful obedience, even obedience to the cross. If you ever struggle to understand how suffering could be used for good, remember that our redemption was achieved on the bloody cross of Calvary. Luke 24, 26 teaches that Jesus had to suffer to enter into the glory as the incarnate Lord, the Messiah. The same biblical author in Acts 14.22, although he's using the words of the Apostle Paul, he cites Paul as encouraging believers that it was through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, when we face trials, learn to find joy in the Lord and embrace the growth that trials can produce in us. Resist the temptation to turn away and turn inwardly and hide from God and, and the people of God. Resist that temptation when you face trials and instead run to the Lord and find joy in His Holy Spirit. That's my exhortation to you today. Let me pray that the Lord would do that work in us. Our God in heaven, Lord, we do know that trials are common to all and there might be some here who are in the furnace even now, God, and who are weary. Lord, I pray for your comfort. I pray for your strength. And yet, oh Lord, I pray that you would do the work. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would love one another, that we would care for one another and suffer along with one another walking through life's trials. And yet, Lord, I pray we would see the purpose. Heavenly Father, bless this church. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I don't have any other announcements before we close. I'll only remind you of our situation with walking out with COVID this way and that way, and I will try to meet you all outside to say goodbye as you go on for the day. God bless you. May the Lord keep you until we see you next week. God bless you.